You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit Stonegate.Church. Okay, you can be seated there where you are. And if you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. It would be so helpful to have that out and open there on your lap. And Stonegate, gosh, what a day. What, what a day. For centuries, the church has gathered on Easter to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, to celebrate that we have a God who came out of the grave. For centuries, we've gathered to do that. Now, why is that? Why is the church gathered for 2,000 years to commemorate and celebrate this day? Well, it's because Christianity is a resurrection religion. That's why. Without the resurrection, we have no Christianity. So as Christians, we celebrate the life of Jesus, the, the incarnation of Jesus, that Jesus came and he walked among us. Everywhere you've fallen, Jesus stood. Every time you said yes to temptation, Jesus said no to temptation. So we celebrate the life of Jesus, but not just the life of Jesus as Christians and followers of Jesus, we celebrate the death of Jesus. Jesus lived the life that we couldn't live, then he died the death that we should have died. Jesus was nailed to that Roman cross, and there on the tree, all of God's wrath for your sin was unleashed upon Jesus. As Isaiah says, Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. But we don't just celebrate the life and death of Jesus as Christians. As followers of Jesus, we also celebrate the resurrection, that on the third day, Jesus busted out of the grave. And that empty tomb reminds us that sin and death and Satan, they do not get the last word in this world. Jesus does. That empty tomb, that empty grave reminds us of our God who loves to turn the worst of things, a death, into the best of things, a resurrection. The resurrection is like a movie trailer. It's like a preview of coming attractions when the power of God will be unleashed into this world, making everything wrong right, making every crooked thing straight, and every broken thing new. Um, I, I love how one pastor talked about the resurrection. He said, if the resurrection didn't happen, then nothing really matters. But if the resurrection did happen, then nothing else really matters. And this is one of the many things that I love about the resurrection of Jesus. It has a way of forcing the biggest questions of life to the front. It has a way of, of excavating and bringing up to the surface the biggest realities of life. It has a way of lifting our gaze above the insignificant and the trivial and the small, and it sets before us the biggest things, the most weighty questions. The resurrection forces the person of Jesus to the front. It forces us to face Jesus. It forces us to, to do something with Jesus. It forces us to decide what will we do with the person of Jesus. I love how Tim Keller talks about the resurrection. He said, if Jesus rose from the dead, we can crown him or kill him. But the one thing we cannot do is just say, what an interesting guy. The resurrection will not allow us to do that. It forces us to decide either we crown him 
or we kill him. It forces Jesus in front of us for us to decide upon him. And today I want to look at this passage in Ephesians chapter 2 because this passage in a lot of ways does what the resurrection does. It brings Jesus to the center of the stage. It, it lifts our gaze up to him and then it beckons us. It calls us to decide what are we going to do with the person of Jesus. So this passage comes in two parts. Part one is death. Part two is resurrection. Part one is death. Part two is resurrection. Let's take the first part death. Look at Ephesians 2 verse 1. God through Paul says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Look at those first four words of verse 1. That is the scriptures announcing, God announcing to us that our problem is deeper than our deeds. My problem, your problem, when we come out of the womb, our problem is that we are dead. We're dead. Now, this strikes modern people as odd because we have a way of seeing ourselves as generally good people who occasionally do bad things. This is how we often just sort of see ourselves. When we look in the mirror, uh, this is how we see. We're, we're generally good people who occasionally do bad things, but that is not how the scriptures say that God sees us. Verse one, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And when the Bible is using that word dead, it's, it's announcing to us, it's, it's saying that, that, that our condition, being dead, it's, it's less about an actual deed done here, a wrong thing done there. Or it's less about deeds and it's more about a condition. Bad deeds, the things that we do that are wrong in life, bad deeds are really just symptoms of our dead condition. So just think about, we'll just kind of press that sort of medical me metaphor a little further. Uh, think about strep throat for a moment. You don't have strep throat because your throat hurts. No, that's not the way it works. Your throat hurts because you have strep. The condition strep then produces the symptom. Your throat hurts. In the same way, uh, we aren't sinners because we sin. We sin, we do wrong things because we are sinners, because we're in this condition of being dead in our sin. So what does it mean to be dead? When, when Paul is saying that you were dead, what, what does Paul mean by that word dead? Well, here's a simple summation. When Paul says you were dead, he's saying that you are spiritually unresponsive and on your way to eternal ruin. This is what it means to be dead in the Bible. You're spiritually unresponsive and on your way to eternal ruin. Dead means that we're spiritually unresponsive. So being dead doesn't mean that we're as bad as we could be. You can be nice and dead. That, that's possible. It doesn't mean that we're as bad as we could be. But Paul uses this language in, in this text of following. 
That's his, his way of describing our unresponsiveness, that we're just not responding to God. We're, we're following the course of this world. We're following the prince of the power of the air. Then in verse three, he changes the language and he says, you're living in the passions of your flesh. Being dead means that our hearts are unable to respond to God. They're unable and unwilling to say yes to Jesus because our allegiance is to another master. When we come out of the womb, we are unresponsive to God because self is our sovereign master. What we want, when we want it, self is the one we have declared allegiance to. Self is the one who always wins. Self is the one who's got our loyalty, not God. We, we are spiritually unresponsive. That's part of what it means to be dead. But dead doesn't just mean that we're spiritually unresponsive. It also means that we are on our way to eternal ruin. It's a sobering truth, isn't it? Apart from Jesus, our situation is more serious and more threatening than anything we could ever imagine. And Paul uses really sobering language in this text to describe that. Look at verse three, the end of verse three. He says, and you were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul is pulling no punches in this text. He wants us to see beyond this life to the life to come. And he's saying that for, for every person who's dead in their sin, who is unresponsive to the grace and kindness of God, that there is a day coming when God's right anger over our sin will be unleashed upon us, ruining us forever. This is what Paul is getting at here. When he says you're dead in your sin, he's saying you are unresponsive to God. You are not responding to him. You are unable to respond to him. And you are on your way to eternal ruin. Now look back at the first four words of verse one again. Paul says, and you were dead. And you were dead. Paul is unwilling to let us wiggle out of this. Paul is looking at you, he's looking at you in the eye and he's saying, I am talking about you. Not the person beside you, not your neighbor, not your friends, I'm talking to you. You were dead. You were dead. He's pressing for personal application. He's looking at us in the eye and saying, I wanna zero in on you. I'm looking into your eyeballs, into your life and I'm saying, and you were dead. Friends, the scriptures are lifting our gaze to the most important questions. It's showing us that apart from Jesus, our situation is more threatening and more urgent and more serious than anything we could ever imagine. The scriptures are showing us that our problem is not just our deeds, but it's the fact that we are dead, spiritually unresponsive. And if something doesn't change, we are on our way to eternal ruin. Part one, death. Part two is resurrection. Resurrection. You know, as you open the scriptures and as you read the Bible, part of what the Bible is doing for you is revealing the person of God. 
You are getting to learn this is what God is like. The Bible is revealing God to us. And one thing that we learn as we open up the scriptures and read the Bible is that God makes dead things live. Amen? God makes dead things live. Think about the story in John 11. Lazarus is a dear friend of Jesus. He is so dear to Jesus that when Jesus hears that his friend Lazarus has died, uh, Jesus' heart is deeply grieved. John 11 tells us that Jesus sat down and wept over Lazarus. And Lazarus didn't sort of die. He wasn't kind of dead. Uh, Lazarus had been in the grave four days when Jesus shows up on the scene. Lazarus was so dead that when Jesus approached the the tomb where Lazarus was, Martha said, Jesus, if you roll that stone away, you're going to need a lot more than Febreze to make this thing right. It it is going to be bad if you do it. Don't do it, Jesus. Right? This is how dead Lazarus was. You couldn't be more dead than Lazarus. Four days in the tomb. And Jesus walks up to his grave and says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus, four days dead, walks out of the grave. Why does that happen? Because we have a God who makes dead things live. Or let's think about Jesus himself. On Friday, Jesus was hung upon a tree, dying in our place and for our sin, for our spiritual deadness. And there on the cross, he breathed his last. Saturday, silence. But then on Sunday, Jesus, three days dead, walked out of the grave. Why? It's because we have a God who makes dead things live. Now, some of us are here today and we are standing in the ashes of our life. That we may not be in the grave physically right now, but we're in the grave, maybe it's emotionally. We may be in the grave financially. We, we, we may be in the, in the grave uh, relationally. Maybe the, the most important relationships in our life are breaking and they're just, they're dying in the grave. And maybe the one thing you need to hear today from the scriptures is that we have a God who loves to make dead things live. But we have a God like that. Or how about our passage uh, here today, Ephesians 2. What does it take for a person to be saved from their unresponsiveness, from their spiritual deadness? What does it take to rescue a person from eternal ruin? Here's the answer. It takes a resurrection. That's our only hope. It takes a resurrection miracle. It takes God making dead things live. Look at verse 4 in our text. Verse 4 starts with these Two amazing words, but God, but God. John Stott calls those two words the greatest two syllables ever spoken, but God. But is a word of contrast. But is a word that signals help is on the way, but but where is help going to come from? What could rescue us from spiritual deadness, but God, that's where our help comes from. But God being rich, he's not poor, he is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Now, now what is this text teaching us? It's showing us that we are stuck in the grave of our sin. 
There is no way out. We are dead. We are unresponsive. We are on our way to ruin. We are stuck in the grave. But friends, grace meets us in the grave. It meets us in the grave. Grace crawls into the grave with us, even when we were dead in our sin, even when we were in our rebellion against God, even when we were indifferent to God, grace crawls into the grave with us and grace breathes life into our lungs. Grace gets our heart beating again, but God made us alive together with Christ. God makes Dead things live. Jesus isn't the only one with a resurrection story. For all of those who are in Christ, you have a resurrection story as well. You're a part of that resurrection story because grace met you in the grave. Grace met you in your spiritual unresponsiveness. Grace met you on the way to eternal ruin. You may have heard salvation described something like this. I was drowning in a sea of my sin and Jesus came in a boat and he threw a life preserver out to me as I'm about to drown. I mean, I am on my last breath and with my last ounce of strength and resolve, I threw my arm around the preserver and Jesus pulled me into the safety of his boat. You may have heard it go something like that. And that sounds really good. The only problem is it's just not how the Bible talks about our salvation. It's not how the Bible talks about the rescuing work of God, the grace of God in our life. When is the last time you've seen a dead man throw their arm around anything? Never, right? That would be weird. You've never seen a dead man do anything because they're unresponsive. And that's what the Bible is saying about our condition. We are unresponsive to God. The gospel is not the story of you about to drown in the sea of your sin. No, it's the story of you dead in the sea of your sin, sunk to the bottom with no hope of rescue, but God, but God. But God sent his beloved son, Jesus, into the stormy sea of your sin for you. Jesus swam down to the bottom of the sea of your sin and he pulled your lifeless body to the shore. And at the cost of his very life, Jesus breathed eternal life into your lungs. That's the story of every man or woman who is in Christ. But God made us alive together with Christ. Why? Because God makes dead things live. You know, it's interesting. We have a lot of way of categorizing people. Uh, There are rich people and poor people. There are good people and bad people. There are Democrats and there's Republicans. Uh, But Ephesians 2 has a way of cutting through all of those superficial ways of categorizing people and, and getting us down to bedrock. And in the end, there are only two categories that really matter. In the end, there are only two. You are either dead or alive. You are either dead apart from Christ on your way to eternal ruin or alive in Christ on your way to an eternal welcome from God. It is either dead or alive. Jesus did not die to make bad people good 
or good people a little bit better. Jesus died to make dead people live again. That, that is why he died. And you are either dead or alive. So how do we know if we're alive? Look at verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. Uh, let me just point out two words from verses 8 and 9. Word number one, the word saved. There's really no better word to summarize what happens to a person when they meet the risen Jesus. We are dead in our sin, at the bottom of the sea of our sin, buried in our sin, heading straight to eternal ruin, unable to help ourselves, but God meets us in the grave. We are saved by the death-defeating grace of Jesus. Word number one, saved. Then look at the word faith. Word number two, faith in verse eight. We aren't saved through our doing, through our good deeds, as good as your good deeds may be. We can never be saved by our doing. We are only saved by grace, this grace that meets us in the grave. By grace, through faith. Maybe you could think of it this way. Like a newborn baby cries out when they come out of the womb, a reborn person, a person that God has made alive, a reborn person cries out to God in faith when they come out of the tomb. This is what happens when God brings a new heart to life. When God takes a person that's spiritually dead and breathes life into their lungs, that new life, just like a newborn baby, cries out to God in faith reflexively. They, they just can't help it. They cry out to God in faith. And we often illustrate faith with a trade. With a trade. Through his death, Jesus opens his arms to us and he looks us in the eye and says, but would you be humble enough to make this trade with me? Jesus says, will you open up your hands? And would you be humble enough to let me take your sin from you? Don't close your hands, but would you open your hands and be humble enough to let me take your sin? Would you do that? And for all those humble enough to say yes to Jesus, Jesus says, okay, now, now keep your hands open. Here's part two of the trade. Would you be humble enough to let me put my perfect record of righteousness back into your hands? Would you be so humble as to let me credit my perfect life to your account? Me take your sin and the condemnation it deserves and me put into your hands my perfect life and the commendation it deserves. Would you be willing to make that trade? Do you have the humility to say yes to me? This is what faith is. It's looking up to God and it's saying, oh God, yes, yes, I, I want that trade. Here's my sin. I am trusting in the perfect record of Jesus's righteousness. Yes, God, yes, God, this is faith. 
So church, will you pray with me there where you are? Will you bow there where you are? And I want to give you a moment to allow the Spirit of God to speak to you today. God is here and among us. And I want to let our, our God who makes dead things live talk to you. And here is the truth with, with the precious people here today, all of us out here today. God has orchestrated a thousand things to bring this moment to fruition. God has providentially arranged your life to be right here this morning as we have opened up the scriptures and thought about Ephesians 2 together. He has brought you right here to hear that God is a God who makes dead things live and that you are dead, unresponsive to him, unable to help yourself, but God, but God. God has brought you here because this is that defining moment of your life. There's no more important moment in your life than that one moment when you decide for Jesus, when you push all of your life in with him. And God has brought you here today for that moment, for you to decide upon the person of Jesus. And here is what faith looks like. It looks like you, you holding your life up to God and saying, here is my sin, oh God, please take it. And God, I am trusting that you're gonna put the perfect record of Jesus's righteousness back in to my hands. Yes, God, I wanna make that trade. And if that's you this morning, you're ready to make that trade, to decide upon the person of Jesus, for your forever to be changed right where you are, cry out to God. Cry out to God, yes, oh God, yes. Save me, rescue me. And with every head bowed, if, if that's you this morning, I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna point you out. But I just wanna know if that's you today. If you are saying yes to Jesus, yes, God, save me, rescue me. But would you just lift up your hand where I can see it if that's you? Yep, I see you there. Just keep up your hand until I can see you. Yep, I see you there. Yep, I see you. Yes, sir, I see you there. Others, yep, I see you. Others, mm -hmm. yep, I see you there. If that's you, just lift up your hand to Jesus and just make eye contact with me. Just, yep, I see you there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep, I see you right there. Mm. Yep, I see you. Yep, I see you. Church, is it not amazing that the same God who raised Jesus from the dead is still resurrecting people today, amen? He's still doing that. So Father, we love you. Father, we are freshly encouraged yet again today by the resurrection of Jesus, by the empty tomb. And God, for these new brothers and new sisters who just came across the line of faith, who just went from spiritual death to life, 
Oh God, we pray that you would protect them. God, we pray that you would grow them. God, we pray that, that you would be doing that, that work of walking with them, oh God. Father, we love you. And it's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen.